0: The primary threat was RKG-3 grenades, like machine guns and AK-47s, that kind of thing.
2: Small arms fire, RPG fire. Explosively formed penetrators. Suicide bombs. And then that's about the time that the third IED went off.
1: And that's when another grenade comes spinning over the side of the wall. And it's at that point the IED chain detonates. There was enemy in the wire. There was all these Humvees on fire. It, it was
0: truly bullets flying from every angle that, that you could see. I open the door and look outside, and all I see is muzzle flashes.
2: There's a guy on top with a 240. And the rounds passed right past his head. At that point, our instincts kicked in. One, one pilot on the controls, the other pilot was using his M4 to engage single-man targets on the ground. You're shooting at everything.
1: It was a fight. Gentlemen, thank you for uh, coming down and taking the time to talk to us. Uh, I'd like to start off just for our listeners so we can get an idea of who's in the room uh, and just kind of go around and, and get who you are and what your relationship was to chosen company uh, during your 7 08 deployment to Afghanistan. So, okay. sir, you want to start? So
0: I guess I'll kick it off. So I'm Lieutenant Colonel Matt Meyer, currently commander of uh, first of the 501st. Um, airborne up in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. Um, but for this, for these purposes, I was the uh, company commander of Chosen Company Two Five Zero Three uh, from two thousand six to two thousand eight, which included the uh, deployment to Afghanistan from 07 to 08 All right.
3: I am Sergeant Major Scott Beeson. Uh, I am the incoming CSM for U.S. Army Japan, uh, taking over on November eighth. Uh, for this discussion, I was the first sergeant uh, for the deployment of 07 08 of Chosen Company.
2: Uh, sergeant Major Stockard. I'm uh, currently the battalion CSM and 2nd of 504th and 82nd. Uh, at the time, I was Sergeant First Class Stockard. I was the first platoon, uh, platoon sergeant um, at that time in Chosen Company. I was at Bella and the Ranch House. Okay.
1: Great. So, with that kind of as, as introduction, we want to talk about. Obviously, uh, Chosen Company was the company involved in whatnot, which everyone is more or less familiar with, I feel like, in terms of our listenership. And we'll cover that later, but I want to talk in in more general terms kind of about your deployment. Chosen Company had a very eventful, sort of difficult deployment, not just in terms of mission set and terrain, but just the, the events that happened during your deployment. And I want to talk about it a little bit more holistically. Um, so, Sir, if you want to field it, or, or Sergeant Major, if you want to field it, first, um, talk to me about what your expectations were coming. What did you know about the place you were going to? What did you think this was going to look like based on what you'd heard and your, your previous experiences in the Army thus far?
0: Yeah, so the um, so I think I, I can cover, you know, kind of just looking back of when I came into the company and really for the whole battalion, um, we had a pretty good um, train up. So really, really almost a full year with really not a lot of leadership changing. Uh, so we kind of had all the company commanders set in. We had to do, do several training cycles, um, through multiple platoon live fires. Um, a lot of what we were training for was we were slated to go to Iraq, uh, as we've heard in previous podcasts. And then we were changed to Afghanistan. Um, I think initially based on the way Iraq was at the time, there was a lot of, um, Relief, I think, or people were happy about going back to Afghanistan based on uh, previous experience with it. Meaning, it wasn't as um, uh, just at the time. Iraq was a lot of IEDs, a lot of you know uncontrollable kind of casualty type events. So I think people were looking forward to that. So so we were, you know, we had a very good, solid train up um, going in Afghanistan, Uh, and I think you know most people were leaning forward, um, you know, kind of looking forward to being a uh, a better situation. Um, and I, I know as far as what we were looking at when we were going in, um, we got a lot of um, information from uh, our battalion commander, Colonel Oslin, when he came back from the PDSS, where he was showing us exactly where we were going to go. That and, helped a lot. Uh, that kind of gave us a perspective, something to show um, the soldiers to say, hey, we're going into a mountainous area. It's very rugged, very austere you know, all those things that um, ended up being.
3: It wasn't just uh, him that came back. Who's the team that came, uh, there was a team that came to our training and told us what uh, it was like. Oh, that's right. So there was a,
0: they sent like a reverse PDSS. And it Um, was, that
3: was uh, really uh, opened our eyes. As a matter of fact, uh, they were talking about uh, not doing a battle damage assessment on, on casualties because they were so far away. And for us, I, that's unheard of before mm-hmm. we went in there you checked mm-hmm. out everything you shot everything you blew up you went and checked out and uh, that was the first time I was like oh hell no and I, I made a mental note. so when we go there we're, we're doing BDA and we're going to go where we can and boy was I freaking wrong uh, that place was amazing and I think he alluded to it a little bit but the train up uh, to that was it was all focused on Iraq mm-hmm everything and then and then in the middle of it and i and and a lot of our soldiers uh, just were unbelievably confused uh just because we're switching it's a completely different fight from uh iraq to afghanistan and then even when we we've got on the ground we were at afghanistan uh before with the first deployment with uh, 173rd and it was completely different mm-hmm. uh, the, the enemy wasn't as tenacious and it, it was just crazy it was a, a, a wide a wide-eyed uh thanks so we got there and they stayed and fought they didn't shoot and run and hide so it was uh, that aspect of it was unfreaking believable
2: yeah when i first got to bella and i remember stepping off the chinook and i was like who in the who in the heck would put a FOP here mm-hmm. and then I didn't get up to the ranch house till a couple of weeks later because it, it was like a five and a half hour walk, yeah. and uh, that's where uh, Matt Ferrar was at. So, yeah, once I stepped foot off there, I was just like, "Oh my God, we're in trouble." But it, it, Bella was just in a kind of a horrible spot. But it was just a fishbowl. It was, but it, <laughs> we were trying to say we were doing the coin fight, but we weren't. There wasn't any civilian population around me, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, yeah
1: I, f- I find that interesting because I feel like I've heard that basically from every battalion commander or brigade commander that went to N2KL, like the first time they landed at the COP or somewhere in the PESH or up in Nuristan, Holy shit. that's their reaction. Holy like, shit, oh, what we, are we were, doing there? boy, are we not prepared for this? <laughs> um, I feel like that's a pretty a pretty standard response to the N2KL
0: PDSS. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's it's kind of interesting if you talk about you know we're taking a kind of a wider look at things. So looking looking back on it um you know i've done a lot of kind of self study of of terrain and the role of terrain within the coin fight you know whether it's jungle mountains whatever <laughs> and that you know if if you're trying to take a people that have already geographically separated themselves through the terrain from on whoever purpose. yeah <laughs> they're there for a reason um and that you know looking back on it is like we're going in there to try to force them to be connected in a way that they're clearly not interested in, um, you know. So even our own, if you just look, at, you know, across the United States of, of where people position themselves, you know, early on in our history, that they were there in the mountains for a reason, you know, that that's where they, they wanted to get separated from everyone else and kind of run their own life, be very independent. Um, and that, you know, that was no different in Nuristan. So.
2: It was like Iranis, I mean, I asked people, I'd be like, have you been over that mountain? You know, the Weigel Valley and they're like, no. I was Emma, like, I was him. like, are you not interested? What's on the other side of the mountain? They're like, Nope. I was like, All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think, I think that's a good transition point to kind of talk about a little bit of the geography of, of where it is you're going. So you guys were out uh, chosen company was out in the Weigel Valley. So for our listeners, if you take Jalalabad, which is one of the bigger cities in Afghanistan and follow the Kunar River up to Asadabad right. and hook a left <laughs> and there's the Pesh River Valley. And you have kind of three or four main valleys that branch off that one. Yep. Uh, Wadapur, Korongal, Shuriak, and then Weigel goes north, and then out past Blessing is Chapadara. Right. Um, so you guys were kind of the farthest afield of anyone uh, <laughs> out in the Pesh. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was your sort of your mission set? What were you getting asked to do um, when you took over out in, out in Weigel?
2: We only had two platoons, too. Yeah. No, we had the Destin platoon, but... Yeah.
0: So we, I think, you know, we've, we just fell in on 132's footprint. So, um, and you know, they, they, to their credit, I mean, they did a good job because they were the ones that were first moved into that area. So all their, you know, a lot of their deployment really the second half of their deployment was identifying, you know, where they needed to position, uh, where were the areas of influence? Um, and then just understanding the, the kind of lay of the land, uh, which, at least for me personally took a little bit to appreciate uh, so the fact that you know our battalion headquarters was at Camp Blessing in the Kunar province the the mission was really focused on the Pesh River Valley um, but I had half of my combat power uh, since we had two platoons positioned in Nuristan which we know is very separate from <laughs> uh, from the Kunar province um so identified, okay, we're in this district of Nuristan, it's not a province. The battalion is focused on being connected with this other province and there really isn't a lot of handover between the two. It's a, there's a clear border that some people traverse across, but uh usually you know, the group that lives in one area was not gonna go be in another area. There was Nuristanis, that I think, crossed through the Kunar, um, but they weren't necessarily interested in settling there. Uh, either. Uh, so th- that took a while to appreciate what that that kind of lay the land and, and that we were, uh, even though we only had two platoons, um, I had to have one platoon that was set on one mission set with a different people um, and another platoon that was um, not only available for the battalion mm-hmm. to use, uh, which is why we got utilized and all these these kind of QRF type missions were taking us out of the, the battle space into other people's battle space. But they were um, focused on the Kunar province, they were focused on, um, you know, economic prosperity and production and infrastructure, uh, much more than you know, up in Nuristan province, which is you know ten fifteen years behind the times of the other already archaic you know uh, kind of province itself, trying to get itself on its own feet. So right, let me
3: jump in there. yeah, go ahead. so uh, he talked about. Uh, uh, a little bit about one three two and and their thought process and the way to to attack the the valley that we were primarily responsible for our company. Um, I, I, I would say my hats off to them for their ability to to mingle with the uh, the population and get in with them. but I, we had the command had a, a far greater uh, kinetic. Uh, objective uh, than we did the, you know shaking hands and and handing stuff to kids. I, I think we did our our fair share of that, but nowhere near uh, what one three, two did. We we spent a lot of our time kinetic, which is why I think uh, we basically poked the the damn hornet's nest uh, and got a lot of what we got because we were very very aggressive, uh, for a battalion and for a company.
2: So, yeah, we we're continuously always on patrol. We didn't we didn't like. Ourselves to the follow but, mm-hmm. but I was restricted how far I could go because my platoon was split. I had two squads with me, a scout team, and then uh, Matt Farrar had the ranch house with two squads and a 60 border team. But so we could, I could only go so far without jeopardizing security. So it was more of a big RNS. right? So, be so,
1: so. When you guys came into country, was it were we starting to make the transition to the coin fight in Afghanistan? Or, or was this still a little bit less of that? Because I know when I showed up in 09, we we sort of felt like we were the leading edge of that coin fight.
0: Yeah, I think I think it was the exact same. I mean, we never, you know, we didn't go in thinking of something other than coin. Yeah. Um, you know, that was that was what we had prepared for, whether it was Iraq or Afghanistan. Um But it was just a matter, so it wasn't the what you know we knew we were doing coin. it was you know how do you apply those principles to this area, and how do you apply it to your other area mm-hmm. um, and from the battalion level, how do they apply it to the Korrigal Valley, how do they apply it to the uh you know the lower part of the pesh valley um, and it was all very different so some of the struggle definitely was hey if i'm looking across as a company commander if i'm looking across my peer group you know hey what are they doing Mm -hmm. and it's like well you know what they're doing isn't necessarily what you need to be doing based on your area (laughs) um so all the you know everything that you can read about Nuristan and talking about the diversity of the people even within the province itself it it just it just lends to the diversity of the problems um you know and, and the diversity of how to solve those problems Um, So it was a, it was a, it was learning every day, you know, and understanding, you know, how different people interact and what's important to them, um, what drives them or what doesn't drive them, what do they care about, what don't they care about. Um, And, and coming in, really being a foreigner to all that. um, And you're really in a foreign country within a foreign country because Nuristan was treated, you know, almost like a different country. I remember the ANA used to talk about they basically felt like a foreigner even you know if they're they were pashtun from southern afghanistan they were a Nuristan. they were like oh we're just like you guys we we hate this place yeah it was really it
3: was really hard to find just to add in interpreters because they couldn't they couldn't find the right dialect because people that were from the corn gall didn't come out of the corn and stuff or where we were it was it was really it was really difficult so i want to go back you talked uh, a little bit about terrain, and I just want to make sure that, that we uh, it, that the listeners understand that the 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 massive impact of, of terrain. Uh, when when I first went out to Bella to see Sarn. Uh, Stockard, he, he took me. There's an OP that's above the, the fort, and I, I swear to God, it was like Mission Impossible to get up the side of the mountain, and I, I could hear the music. <laughs> and, it, you know, we were grabbing ropes trying to get up, and it was just the, uh, you think that you are in fantastic shape, and as were, uh, you know, our whole company. And uh, when you got there, you realize you are in nowhere near the shape you need it to be to be in that part of the country. It was was freaking amazing.
1: Well, and it's a little bit of the isolation Mm -hmm. piece, too, right? These are giant mountains, so if you're a guy at the ranch house, you're there. That's Mm -hmm. where you exist until Mm -hmm. some helicopter comes pick you up. No
3: way in or out, but but walking, very dangerous.
1: Okay, so you guys get into country kind of May, June time frame, is that about right?
0: Yeah, we deployed on May 22nd. So I think we're... My, my birthday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I think we tow it in 2 June, I think, is when we finally transferred two. authority. So, yep.
1: so, you know, a, a deployment, a 12- or 15-month deployment kind of has that cycle you get, right, where you come in and you you ramp up, and then the main part of the deployment happens, and then you ramp down. But when you guys came in, I mean, you came in at what is kind of traditionally considered like the start or the height like, of the fighting yeah. season, right? Um, so I'm curious what your what your experience was coming in in June of 2007, what was that that arc of your deployment like? Did Were you immediately in the fight, like you said, uh, Sergeant Major Beeson poking the, the hornet's nest immediately, or did you have a little bit of time to ramp into it? Sort uh, what did, what, we, what did we you feel?
3: We definitely had time. It was very unlike uh, the Korengal Valley, where they were fighting every single day, multiple firefights. Uh, not a lot of uh, uh, deaths, but a lot of injuries because of the firefights. We were when we got hit; it was it was c- catastrophic. So, but it was it was uh, few and far between. Three, four months in between uh, the time something happened when something else happened, and in between, uh, boys get restless, uh, and you know they they want that fight and. I, you know, careful what you want for or wish for. So uh, it was, it did not start as, you know, poking the hornet's nest. We did that. That came later.
2: Yeah, Bella was actually kind of quiet, I think, the first two, three months. We, we, we yeah, took we, a couple of RPGs, but nothing was effective. Mm-hmm. We, so, we
3: talked about Bella being, it was like a a freaking resort community. I had a big river running down next to it. And you know, if nothing else was going on, you could make a lot of money doing river rafting. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so we talked about that. And then be,
1: be like a Swiss ski town I, was, kind of thing. It was, it was beautiful really, up there actually.
3: It was really beautiful. And I, so shortly after that, it wasn't so beautiful anymore.
2: <laughs> and then that's when the ranch house happened. And I remember going up there and I I, I remember telling uh, Colonel Myers like, ranch house does not need to exist anymore. Because so, it, it was kind of worthless. I mean, it's 1,500 meters straight down. And you're like, oh, there's the enemy. You couldn't do anything.
1: Yeah, so Sergeant Major Stocker, kind of walk me through what the ranch house is and, and what happened there with that first big fight
2: at the ranch house. I wasn't personally there because I was down at Bella. But initially, I mean, it, if, if you could see, there's a, actually a video of it, I think, on YouTube if, if it's even on there anymore. It but, is. But they had like a – it shows them, give them like an op order. Like where they're going to hit the ranch house from, and they initially hit the a s g which was the Afghan security guards, the local militia, I guess, and uh they came in through that way and they they actually breached the wire and they they made it all the way to the sixty position before uh, my squad started pushing them back so hey let me
3: let me cut in here just for a second so the 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 way the the terrain was set out for the ranch house it was called the ranch house because it looks like the ranch house in Ponderosa. And the helicopters landed on that one building on the whole place. And the guard towers, it, you could not see a guard tower from another guard tower. It was very it was very not well set up. It was very insecure, and, and trying to secure it was an unbelievable pain in the ass. So I just wanted yeah. to throw that in. It was. I mean, with
2: two squads, I mean, like when they went out on patrol, that means they left two guys in the guard towers. So they had to pull. It was basically a fire team at each guard tower. So kind of rolled the dice, but, I mean actually when the ranch house attack happened they were about to go out on patrol so it's kind of like the one aught too. they mm-hmm. they were about to go out on patrol too so the, ra- the ra- it was is just a is a is an odd location um and I, I think it was originally set up to be a sensor because every when the corn gall got slow that's when i got worried because they're just coming over the mountain I was like well they're coming to the waggle that's now right.
0: <laughs> so yeah i think um you know the i think the best way to characterize the Weigel Valley was a very patient em- enemy mm-hmm. that, you know, within our first 90 days, my assessment was that, hey, you know, based on my experience was, a hey, security is pretty good. Mm-hmm. and we won't have, there isn't an overabundance of activity. The, you know, exactly. we kind of get a little bit of, you know, SIGINT that would indicate things, um, but not anything worth being worried about. So it, it seemed like it was like, you know, it was a, it was a, it was kind of a, Good environment for coin based on the level of security we had because what we have it compare it to was constantly listening to the Coringal Valley exactly and the contact <laughs> that was occurring there, right. Really, from probably at least a little bit of distance. Mm-hmm. You know, their contact was hey, I, I just imagined you know, it was uh, the battle company from the battalion shooting across the valley at a bunch of enemy that were mm-hmm. uh, basically positioned along the mountain there, and they just did that every day. Um, and then quickly we found out, you know, wh- what we're dealing with is a, um, a false sense of security in hmm. that, you know, everything is quiet. And then all of a sudden the enemy is within hand grenade range and they have organized themselves because, uh, because of the mountains that they can move, move around and they could um, Gain combat power to come against us in a very and they know intimate where to walk.
3: they know the mountains They yeah. know the trails yeah, that, that we can't see shit.
2: There's tons of trees. That's what surprised me because during OAF way of six we were down in by uh, a clot mm-hmm. in a Zabul province there was no trees And, and then, you then
3: just, I you can see everything forever
2: and then yeah. I then I get up to Bell and I'm like uh Oh, <laughs> you know, I mean there's huge pine trees, you know the the icon chatter they would be like hey, we're in the jungle. So I knew they were like on top of the mountains mm-hmm. So, very yes. good concealment. So, so in that in that patient couple months, as the enemy's
1: sort of sussing you out and and developing their plan, I mean, is that ranch house attack kind of late August the first big push? That's the first big thing that that happens to you guys up there, yeah. or are there yeah. other little data points that kind of say, hey, I think something's starting to starting to change? I, don't well, I think, think there was was no. there
3: too, I don't think there was too much prior to that.
0: I don't think there was too much. I mean, there was um, you know based on. Uh, first platoon, you know, actively patrolling, you know, that's when they would get indication of, right. Hey, there's people looking at them or, um, their, their interaction with the local people of the village there, there was small indication, but it, it, to me, it was an indication of there's some enemy presence, but not an enemy that could gather the amount of combat power that they did. That's right. Um, so, you know, in that it was, it was some indication, but it seemed like a tolerable level of security to continue um and then all of a sudden it was like you know the fight of our lives um you know i i was at bella at the time as well Mm -hmm. um when that kicked off and um you know it was just very it was extremely kinetic all of a sudden you know Mm -hmm. very textbook kind of infantry tactics um utilized against us so from that moment on um you know we were living in a definitely a high stress situation so when you look at the metrics of the amount of contact that occurred in the Weigel Valley you're like well that's not that bad compared to the amount of contact in other places but it doesn't mean that the expectation of that contact wasn't there every day uh, which I I think was an added stress on the force um, and on the guys definitely because it was constantly how do do you defend against and pay attention to you know your sector of fire when there's going to be nothing in it 90 days yep. and then all of a sudden there's going to be 10 people in it
3: and you're um, going to wish you had twice your, as many people yeah. yeah
0: moving towards your position um so that w- i think that was part of the challenge yeah. you know, over time
1: so in that ranch house attack you uh sergeant major stocker you talked about you know the enemies basically inside the wire they get to 60 position that kind of stuff yeah, I mean, how, how, how big a force are we talking about kind of what was what was the progression there i don't remember
2: what the estimate was over 100 people maybe yeah but, against, uh, against two what two squads Basically. Plus the ASG yep yeah. but the ASG broke contact they had ANA there too but a- the a- the ANA broke contact and a- a ANA
3: and ASG was they they fell
2: back to the LZ which that's not where the main.
3: There
0: was one A guy that stayed yeah I don't remember they, that
2: specifically
3: they were basically uh, basically they were a speed bump to get to the
2: center of the, of yeah. the ranch house and once they broke through the cuz there was actually two perimeters we had wire in front of the ASG then we had wire in between us and the ASG and once they broke through the a s g they just basically they laid plywood, mm-hmm. basically kind of like a body breach, and they just flowed in, ended up killing the head guy, but yeah still I mean, and when it first kicked off like they they knocked out the the command post, and so uh Lieutenant Ferrar couldn't talk to us, mm-hmm. we had to relay through the a ten and then back down to him and
3: he was talking about killing the main guy and i it, he also talked about the video that's on so that's the head guy giving his op order for Ranch House that shit was amazing uh, it was like we were given we were given the op order uh, to to our people just like he was doing and, and he was just pointing with a stick on a map that was the exact uh, exact thing of our, our fob a picture of our, our fob and it was just amazing the, the amount of of detail TD, yeah detail and tedious work that went into figuring out how to do that and they attacked just like we would it was freaking amazing and i had newfound uh respect uh, after that first attack
0: mm-hmm. so yeah, it's it's amazing yeah. to think about you know how the how the enemy um you know we think about all this time in between before they attack again okay. you know that was essentially a series of refining reconnaissance that's it day after yeah. day until they had exact i mean they had you know, you what is the, the exact, exact distance? Weaknesses? Any the weaknesses? Two? Yeah. yeah, what's the exact distance between two fighting positions? What's the location of all your
2: the most casualty
0: producing weapons? You know, all that. Right. Um, so we learned a lot from that. You know. I think it was
2: forward. the workers too, though. We, we think one of the workers kind of leaked where everything was because the workers at Bella, they stayed on Bella. Mm-hmm. We didn't let them leave. But I think the ranch house, they got to leave and go down to Arana's. So, But I think that's who actually gave them – Pretty good intel where everything was at. So, after a couple months of, again,
1: that sort of slow build up, Ranch House happens, and it becomes clear that this is a determined enemy, probably a pretty highly skilled enemy that you're facing. And even if they're not going to be shooting at you every day, there's the potential that's always there. Um, That's right. There's another lull. For a couple months, I'm assuming, and then you have the Uranus. Almost three months. Yeah, and then 9 November. Yep. So then 9 November is the Uranus ambush, which is that the first KAs
0: you had in Chosen Company? Yeah, absolutely. So that, I mean, you know, that was another uh, interesting aspect about the enemy because, you know, based on what we just said now, we have this enemy that's very calculating and they're basically picking their moment uh, to attack. Um, so, you know, kind of taking that in our own assessment, we're like, hey, if we, if we move in undetected in the dark, um, we'll be able to move back, and the enemy won't be able to react okay. necessarily because it's not going to be a location um, that they're sitting and watching us at and be able to get the distance, et cetera. Um, even though we knew um, from previous deployments there was ambushes in that area, not in that specific location, but uh, kind of in that section of the valley um and so as they as they moved in undetected the enemy kind of proved that they could quickly move combat power to get in position uh to a a location of their choosing um because you know that that's where they've they've lived and fought you know all their lives you know whether it's uh fighting with each other or fighting against us uh, because we would talk to the local people and they would talk about all kinds of firefights they've been in because they're fighting over the next town over some water rights or some access to some piece of land or some trail they think they own and somebody else thinks they own it um or just some sort of personal feud that they had with somebody else um so that that was kind of that you know what what came out of 9 november as well
3: hey so why we're why we're talking about this for all the listeners this uh, there was a book written by greg Zorora called the chosen few uh and it covers a lot of this and it talks about this so if you're Interested about it at, at a later date. Please read that book because it really explains everything in detail on a personal level of the soldiers as well. So I just wanted to make sure I got that out there. Yeah. So, <clears throat>
0: um,
1: so for the for the Iranis ambush, the the nine November ambush, uh, you guys take your first casualties. I mean, it's how how many killed and wounded happened in that in that fight?
2: Six and everyone was wounded. Yep. There, yeah. There's Fourteen six. on patrol. Fourteen U.S. and Two A&A died, I think. Yeah. Yep. The six U.S., including the Marine.
3: Yeah, yeah. The, the ETT was killed yeah, as well. Bogd,
2: so. right, and it, it, right when it kicked off, too, I mean, it was – our OP heard it, OP-1 at Bella, mm-hmm. could hear some of the gunshots, because I remember I think it was Sergeant Salazar that was up there. It was. And uh, my Green, my FO, he was down actually making talking to his wife, and I needed him to get up to the OP quick. Because I knew generally where they were at just by tracking them. Mm-hmm. And so I just randomly started placing 120 targets all around their position. And it almost backfired on me. I mean, if you talk to Kyle White, he, he hated me for a couple months. Because it basically knocked him unconscious. But they, they knew our they knew our mortars, that we like to use them. Uh, I used to use the term that they would, they would hug us. So if they get within get that, so close. that the red zone, that we won't shoot. But I did shoot in the red zones. But... Luckily I didn't kill any of my guys, mm-hmm. but in the end, I mean, like they, they almost got their hands on uh, Matt Ferrara too. And the interpreter actually shot one of the the enemy. So that's, that, was a, that was a long day and the night, yeah, so. yeah it was <laughs> It was horrible. Like I wanted to launch, I had a squad ready and I, I remember him or it might've been Colonel Austin too. Like, cause Bella was getting an attack too. And the scout team. I mean, it was a pretty simultaneously attack. And um, I wanted to launch a squad with Sergeant now and I couldn't because then I would have risked Bella getting overrun, so it was a horrible day. But I I knew that Farrar was dead when I wasn't getting any comms from him. None. And I hung up on him once.
3: Yeah, I I called him, and I just needed a sit rep of what was going on, and he was in the middle of handling uh,
2: everything. The the tax hat was going off. My phone was ringing. So I absolutely
3: absolutely understood. uh, There was no hard feelings. He needed to do what he had to do, but it was so hectic. And those are the times we talked about it a little earlier, and those are the times when you wish you had – you know quadruple the number if you knew something like this was going to happen you would have beefed up your numbers you would have been you would have guys you know more guys in overwatch and it was just freaking crazy and
2: i mean where they where they hit them the scouts aren't Choi. i mean they're 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 parallel them but there was like a little rock cropping yep and they hit them perfectly right where the scouts couldn't see them and so and plus the scouts were like laying down they were getting shot at. and out. the scouts were hit too so yeah. it it
3: was really it was crazy
1: I was gonna say, so, so Sergeant Major Beeson, for for you, sir, and for you, Sergeant Major, as the as the company command team, are you guys down at Blessing for this, or are you up at up at Bella? We, we were. And what's, and what's the feeling, being kind of away and just kind of hearing this uh, fight happen? Says, uh,
3: every time we had something catastrophic, it was like, oh shit. So, and we'll get in this later, but I was, uh, you know, in the CP uh, for not, and you know, Captain Meyer was Colonel Meyer was at the i uh, already at one not and i was just I, I felt helpless and you know especially when it comes across the ufkia that's a
2: well yeah they, they woke me up that morning and like it's a ranch house attack again and i was like yeah. we already had vehicles prepped so
3: it was, yeah it was it was it, i really hate you just sink and then shortly after it started uh me and colonel meyer went up to bella so and then then we walked in to do uh to recovery after the, after the incident. But it was just the feeling you get in your stomach when you're, when your boys are in trouble, whether they're, whether they're missing people. Yeah. Whether they're KIA, but especially if they're missing and you can't find people, holy shit. That is, that's a big deal. Yeah. I think, um,
0: you know, I hope you guys have gotten a lot of the appreciation, especially from these two, just, um, talking about the feelings of all that. Um, but I think the perspectives of a command team, um, a few things is that, Uh, When you're going into a, you know, kind of a catastrophic situation, um, and the closer you are to what is occurring, the more you're going to understand, hey, the intricacies of the complexities of a firefight. Um, And in particular, you you can follow the principles that you learn, you know, tactically. Uh, And even if you're following those principles, it doesn't mean that everything's going to go okay. (laughs) Uh, So we had Overwatch, you know, with an element, but, you know, they positioned themselves in a place where they just couldn't see. So if they were in Overwatch, they could see 80% of uh, where those guys were moving. Then the enemy's going to put themselves in that 20% delta that you're going to miss. Another thing is in a firefight is, you know, uh, the real job of a soldier is to survive. Um, when we train, we train to have, help them survive. Uh, even if you're training on offensive tactics, that's a, that's a way in which you're, you're putting more pressure on the enemy to help you survive at that tactical level. Uh, so you know, to the credit of Matt Farrar and his platoon, Sergeant Stockard, and how they trained, not only at the ranch house but during that ambush, is all the guys that were injured, I mean, they were basically doing everything they could to stay alive jumping off of a cliff, sliding down a mountain, covering each other with with their body armor, their bodies. That's um, you know, going – just being – having that level of physical and mental toughness to mm-hmm. hold on to your life despite your injuries. Um, those are all things that, that that our guys,
3: you know, did. And no matter, um, how, no matter how dark it gets, uh, whether it's physical or, or mentally of the, the thing that's going on, you – you always, you never give up on those guys down there were freaking amazing.
0: Yeah, and I think um, the one thing that, that B and I have talked about a lot is, you know, how do you have, how do you keep enthusiasm and motivation in that deep adversity? Um, how do you keep a positive, forward-leaning um, kind of attitude over time? You know, so taking the kind of, um, those kind of large events that we went through, you know, how do you lean forward and maintain people's focus
3: and not um, not just that so even after one of those catastrophic events how do you keep people focused and not wanting to go out the wire and just blast away and me and uh certain stocker some major starker have talked about that just trying to keep your boys cool and, and calm and still follow all the basic principles
2: and not, not
3: lose their head or, or get too emotional on, you know, Afghan security guards or Afghan National Army. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, we, after the memorial, we went out on patrol because I, I remember telling him, I was like, I got to get my guys outside the wire just yep. so they're not scared or whatever. And That's the, it. I, I'm not saying they were scared, but we – because I went back to blessing after that because second platoon relieved me. So, mm-hmm. But after the memorial, yeah, we went out on patrol so um so there's obviously like i said up
1: front you guys had a super busy eventful deployment and there's a lot of stuff to cover between here and there but in the interest of time i want to make sure we want we talk when a little bit um and sir if you can give me a little bit of just kind of background that that led us to uh the point that we have the the Wenot attack we and kind of yeah, talk so about what, what the progression of that looked like over the spring
0: sure yeah i think the um Kind of what we had learned from these beginning events not only with about the the overall area of operations that we were in how to balance the amount of combat power you have how to manage the risk of our elements um as we determined early on you know kind of big picture perspective um yeah i knew right away hey we're in a district of a province where we have little interaction with the provincial level so the overall goal of that time in Afghanistan is to connect these people through their own kind of chain of government, uh, to Kabul. Uh, we were kind of at the lowest level, but there was huge gaps, uh, in trying to get anything moving the direction it needed to go. Um, based on that and, and the, the, the tax on our combat power for, for having progression in other areas of Kunar, um, and the, Positions where we felt we were really out of position and vulnerable, we said early on, hey, we need to dial back and not leave ourselves at such risk to our forces based on the benefit that we're achieving with the, the central government, which was really not much. <laughs> so we were helping individual people, I think, but they, they were in such a desperate situation. They were just out for themselves. Uh, so it was kind of that off of, hey, are we really worried about individuals or are we trying to have an effect on the entire community? Um, so we, we wanted to dial those bases back to get them into a place that's supportable, but also in a location that we can be effective, uh, which is essentially was, what not that's where the district of Weigel was located. Hey, we needed to be connected with that piece of government. So that's where we need to go. Um, so with that, uh, based on taking the time to get all the resources lined up, we determined, Hey, if we can get kind of one, one kind of operation to dial back. Hey, we dialed Ranch House back early on. Hey, we're gonna move Bella back now. Um, and at the same time, we're gonna occupy Wanat. Uh, so as, as it took several days for us to kind of take that base apart in a secure way, um, as we were flying out of there, we're gonna bring in via ground uh, guys to Wanat, Benefits of Wanot, it was within FM comms of our battalion. It was accessible. Via the road, and it was next to a district uh, where we can really connect with the people that were supposed to be running the security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we felt like we could be more effective at that location. Yep. Gotcha. So as you guys kind
1: of reassess where your combat power is going to go and decide, hey, we're going to move down to down to whatnot. That process takes a little bit longer than anticipated. And the resources have a little bit of trouble getting out there because you you guys are out in the boonies. Yeah, there's a I, I, it's, it's I quite really, a haul to get out there. I really wish
3: we had uh, more time because yeah. uh, it, this was a, a sticking point for for me and Colonel Myers even before going out there as to why we're doing this, uh, why are we occupying 14 days, uh, and you know a squad or two are already back in the rear getting ready to prep to go home and we're going into this place but if we have more time we get into that but the security there was all kinds of issues the hesco folks that were coming in to fill the hescos wouldn't come they wanted an escort it it was just uh, just a lot of things fuel blivet broke bobcat wouldn't work it was was just a lot of stuff
0: yeah and i think um you know we definitely put in the time talking about a you know a commander's relationship with his first sergeant you know we had you know we were like wide open honest with each other that's right and you know he never never held back what his opinion was and we always just went back to the fact that a bottom line is it's the right thing for us to do Mm -hmm. to not leave this for our follow-on unit based on the position that our unit is in the experience that they have um the knowledge that we have of dealing with all the adversity that comes with this Um, this position to the guys coming in and we, you know, we communicated that, um, you know, as best we could to the platoon, you know, as well to say, Hey, we know that this is something that's very difficult and we know (laughs) it's not something that anybody's really into. Uh, we're not, you know, I don't think anybody would say that Yeah, I really want to do this mission. Uh, but no one could argue with the fact that it was the right thing to do. Um, and that's kind of, that was like the kind of seminal point that said, okay, we're going to go ahead and do this. you know so we go ahead and execute the mission despite the adversity that uh just came with um getting all the resources lined up uh the assessment as they as they uh the firefight kicked off or or indications that there was going to be attack was that hey once again they can be a very calculating enemy uh so they're going to kind of dial us in i think to get the best effect out of what they have uh and that happened much more rapidly than we thought based on all the Um, you know what we really felt like is as we were moving Bella there was a lot of kinetic activity that we felt like we got a jump on them about um, uh, because we had consistent firing at the aircraft that were moving up and down the valley that stopped pretty abruptly we moved out of there pretty much unfettered uh, and then when we occupied by you know a couple days later that's when the
2: last aircraft that came out of Bella though we had to change their their flight they came in from the north and I remember the ICOM chatter would be like, where are the birds at? Where are the birds at? Yeah. Because yeah. we kind of caught potential. them off guard. Yeah.
0: yeah, it was definitely potential, but it never did occur, Yeah, it never happened. So. But they
2: they knew we were closing that place down. And once once him and I, because him and I were on the last aircraft that left. And I remember flying down the valley, and I could see the, the convoy going to whatnot, so.
3: Yeah. And very nerve-wracking. Uh, just to add in, when we we were leaving, we were leaving Bella, just the feeling of, of being the last few that were there was kind of eerie uh, just for the mm. fact of if something, if you left somebody <laughs> right now, we were <laughs> fucked.
2: <laughs> so yeah, the either. risk definitely. Yeah. Either. It was very, very just looked, Well, little shoot. That's like good. the ranch house. When I, I burned down all the the Boots. towers and caught all the sandbags. And yeah. then they were like, the aircraft's not coming until tomorrow morning. I was like, Oh <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if, if, uh,
1: if our listeners are interested in hearing about the one attack, we have a pretty, uh, Impressive podcast with uh, Ryan Pitts, who is a Medal of Honor recipient from from that battle that yep. that you can listen to. Um, he does a phenomenal job, kind of articulating all of the events of the battle and everything mm. that happened there. Um, but to wind up here, that really is. I mean, like like somebody said, people were already on flights to go home. That's right. I mean, what is half was back in Right. So what what is? I want to end out with kind of what that felt like for that to be the last experience of this deployment, that such a big, ultimately kind of important, influential fight, um, what, what, what did you take away as that being the last, the last part of your year in Afghanistan?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, definitely that day, uh, I, I felt a huge <laughs> amount of frustration with that being the kind of like, you know, hey, this is what actually occurred. I mean, you know, all the mission stuff aside, I mean, the fact that you lose nine soldiers in one firefight is a, you know, it's kind of a huge blow on, I mean, it's it definitely absolutely changed um, all of our lives, you know, and, and the, the kind of aftermath effects of that, you know, I don't think I really re- realized at the time. You know, tactically, there was a lot of frustration because I felt like, hey, now I'm leaving um, this follow-on unit in, in kind of a bad situation. So, even though we were approaching it as, hey, this is the right thing to do, you know, we used to always ask ourselves, hey, what if you weren't going home? Your mi- the mission doesn't end just because you leave. It's a continuation of that mission. So what, what would you actually decide to do? Uh, so t- that decision was lined up, and it was solid. I think we all agreed on that. Uh, the results of the firefight and how it changed a lot of things, uh, which you know, caused us to make the decision to pull away from that. Uh, Based on a lot of factors of that's been covered in, you know, before amount of combat power available from the previous unit. Hey, how much combat power do you have to commit to that location based on that level of firefight? You know, all those factors that went into pulling away. Um, But I think just one word to sum it up was complete frustration that, hey, even though you you went in with the best, best intentions that you were learning and calculating and assessing risk and trying to make the best decisions that you could. And that's still being the result, you know, all goes back to what we talked about originally. Is is that really an environment where even if you did it perfectly, can coin be a successful hmm. recipe for that, or any approach to tactics? Is it just a place that's set up to not receive that kind of, um, you know, what those intentions were, even though they're very, you know, we all we all wanted the best for everybody, right? Um, that ultimately is what what was frustrating, um,
3: and I, I I think let me let me jump in here. Yeah, go ahead. The, uh, I, so that's the big picture stuff, and he, uh, Colonel Meyer is, is is really good about that stuff. So on the on the down low, uh, a, as far as the impact of that firefight on soldiers was unfreaking believable to... To have something like that and to lose that many friends and for the families and it was so because it was so close to to going home everybody just couldn't quite understand why we would uh, everybody on the outside why would we put ourselves in that kind of situation and to explain to soldiers after that and to have conversations at medal of honor ceremonies about you know, I, you guys got PTSD. You're missing your brothers, uh, but I think that is the probably the worst thing that came from that because it was so close to going home. Uh, probably 50 percent of the people that were part of that deployment uh, got out after that, and this is the last thing that they remember of their time in the army was that fucking firefight. So it's it's just crazy, and I I really hate that because there's a lot of people that hold a lot of uh, dark spots in their mind and their heart about that shit. So,
0: yeah, and I think you know ultimately, the the way I look back on it is it's um it's really you know bittersweet in a lot of ways because you kind of you know you train for your worst day, <laughs> um, when you experience your worst day, there's all kinds of greatness that occurs at the soldier level. You know that the things that they were doing for one another. And, Absolutely, you, know, you just see all the all the valorous awards that come in, what, what you see a human capable of doing, the choices that they make for their fellow man, the, uh, the the camaraderie and the ties that they have is so close because of what that experience was, you know, and those are the good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the loss is so deep as well. And and if, to try to, you know, where I've settled out on is that, hey, that's just a part of who I am. It's part of who, everyone was there it's going to be a part of who they are forever um and that they will constantly look back on some of that as being like wow that was a really uh, <laughs> proud moment of how they performed overall that you could take a hit like that and transition from being defensive to going offensive and then at the end of the day the dust settles and you held the ground the way that you were intended to um but the loss is so great that um as as proud as you are to see the way a company can perform, um, you feel that depth of sorrow uh, at an equal, if not deeper, level, uh, because you know you've lost so many people. Um, uh, so the only thing that we can do for them is always remember them, based on what the, you know, what they put forward and the choices that they made for their, um, for their brothers that they fought alongside. Is that you know any event that we go to, anything that we're part of. We always want to remember who they are, remember what they um, they it. did for us, and you know, and that at the end of the day, that's what that's what we owe.
3: So i I wrote a I wrote a paper in Sergeant Major Academy, and at the end of it, it talks about just a basic summary, and it talks about you know the reasons for soldiers to join, or whether it's a family tradition or just to be uh, to gain honor for their family or, or whatever. Um, it doesn't matter. There's a myriad of reasons to get out of trouble to get out of the inner cities, whatever There's a lot of people that join, but uh, the reason they fight like they did in this fight uh, it, there's only one one reason and that's for your brother. You are your your brother's keeper and you know nine soldiers died that day uh, protecting uh, Me soren Stockard and 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 Captain Meyer so it was just those are the things it I put that in there that it's just I, it's to be your brother's keeper and that's the reason you fight like you do like you uh th- there is no tomorrow so it's just just freaking awesome I, I learned so much on that deployment it's it's unbelievable
1: well sir sergeant major Beeson, sergeant major stockard i think even though we could probably talk about this for another hour or two <laughs> um i think this is a good place I need to stop so thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk to us
3: absolutely um, thanks a lot
0: thanks